MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. Today, the Justice Department announces action in response to the Texas Vigilante Abortion Law, SB8. But is it enough? The Washington Post editorial board writes about the downward spiral of Kevin McCarthy. Texas is now a leader in child deaths from COVID. And the United States continues to evacuate Americans out of Afghanistan. I'm your host, Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, welcome back, Dana. It's been a while. Oh, my goodness. It's been too long. Uh, You were on vacation. We took a week off. Then I traveled to New Mexico to see my family for the first time since November. And now I'm back in your ears. It's nice to see your face and hear your voice. It's good to see you, too. Happy New Year, my friend. You as well. Shana Tova to anyone listening. And um, yeah, we you have a few days of atonement, as they say. But let's just hope that the next year coming, especially Jewish faith, is more blessings, a sweeter year for everyone. Ah, yes, please. Please. <laughs> please. We, I know. Can we make that happen? The bar's really fucking low. So, I mean, even at this point, like sorbitol would be sweeter than the year we've had. You know what I mean? It could be an artificial sweetener at this point, and I'd take it. <laughs> 100%. So, we have an interesting show today. I'll be speaking with the author of the forthcoming book. It's coming out in January. It's called Go Back to Where You Came From. It's by the author Wajahat Ali. Tomorrow, we have con law constitutional law expert Steve Vladek to talk about what's happening in Texas. And Thursday, I'll be joined by election security expert Jenny Cohn. And Friday, we have Mary Trump coming on the show to visit us. So it's going to be a good busy week. There's a lot of news to cover and a lot of yucky stuff going on. This Sunday, Dana, you and I will start the new MSW Book Club series on The Reckoning, which is Mary Trump's book, her second book. And I'm hoping uh, we'll speak to her this week. Like I said, she has confirmed that we will talk to her Friday before the launch of the series this Sunday. And it's every Sunday for the next seven weeks. And it, it will be available to the public. I changed my mind. I was going to make it for patrons only, but we're, it's so important, this book, that I'm, I'm giving a little bump to a different book I wanted to cover. And we're going to do this one. Good call. Good call. Yeah, it's, a, it's how we heal as a nation. And we've got a lot of work to do and we have to make a concerted effort to do it. And uh, we're going to figure out how that's going to look. And so... (laughs) Well, our dear friend has some ideas. So there's that. Yes, she absolutely does. She has some amazing ideas. All right. That's the show for this week and uh, the show for today. And then we have the good news later on. If you have good news, please send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today is that the Justice Department is exploring, quote, all options to challenge Texas's restrictive abortion law. That's according to Attorney General Merrick Garland, who he spoke today. People said, you better speak. So he spoke and he's vowed to provide support to abortion clinics that are, quote, unquote, under attack in the state and to protect those seeking and providing reproductive health services up to six weeks. The move by the nation's top law enforcement official comes just days after the Supreme Court refused to block the Texas abortion SB8 statute that bans the procedure at six weeks into pregnancy with no exceptions for rape or incest. The court's action stands as the most serious threat to Roe, 
the landmark ruling we know establishing a woman's right to abortion. It's 50 years ago, almost. President Biden has sharply criticized the high court's decision. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has pledged to call a vote later this month on legislation that would enshrine a woman's right to an abortion into federal law, though I'm worried this court would just strike it down. Quote, we will not tolerate violence against those seeking to obtain or provide reproductive health services, physical obstruction or property damage in violation of the FACE Act. That's what Garland said today, referring to the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, a 1994 law that prohibits threats and obstruction of a person seeking reproductive health services or of providers. Garland said the Justice Department has reached out to U.S. attorney's offices and FBI field offices in Texas to discuss enforcement authorities. Quote, the department will provide support from federal law enforcement when an abortion clinic or reproductive health center is under attack, Garland said. Uh, Biden said last week that the department would be exploring options to challenge the law. Garland said Monday that the department would do just that to protect the constitutional rights of women and other persons, including access to an abortion. Biden also said, quote, I was just told there are possibilities within the existing law to have the Justice Department look and see whether there are things that can be done to limit the independent action of individuals enforcing a state law. Now, what Garland did today doesn't cover that. All Garland did today, and I'm, and I'm glad he came out and spoke and said he's doing something, but all he did, Dana, was say, if you break a law that's been in effect since 1994 by, you know, obstructing access to abortion at a clinic when it's legal to do so before six weeks is up, we're going to come after you for that. Mm-hmm. But he didn't say anything about the post six weeks or any of, you know, holding accountable any of the quote unquote vigilantes that would actually use this law to go after people, which is against certain laws and statutes. So I'm what I'm hoping is that Garland is still looking at other options. And this is just one. And I know there's a lot of people wondering, you know, where he where he's been and perhaps what he's doing doesn't feel like it goes far enough or is fast enough. And I feel you it isn't. And we need to find the correct balance of Garland speaking and Garland not speaking. Right. Uh, You know, and I'm talking about the insurrection here and violating Department of Justice policy by talking about open and ongoing investigations. It's a tough line to walk, but it certainly feels like, especially with this Texas law, what what he's come out with today is not enough. Nothing is going to seem like enough, honestly, in the totally lawless and weaponized wake of the Justice Department under Trump. This and the investigation into the insurrection, like I said, are break glass emergencies. And I fear... Nothing is going to feel like enough, though I am going on record saying, you know, I'm glad you came out and said something and did something today, Garland. But I it's you're just reiterating current law that doesn't go beyond what women are facing past six weeks or, you know, this this vigilante law. So I'm, I'm hoping more happens and I'm hoping it happens fast. And I'm trying to keep in mind that nothing is going to feel like enough. Right. I'm trying to keep that in mind. But. It's it's getting really difficult. I, I agree with you. And I, I know a lot of our listeners do, too. So hopefully they will prove us wrong Yes, uh, in the coming weeks and we'll see some things turn around. I wish I had better news in our second story, but we're staying in Texas. So Texas schools have amassed more than 50,000 confirmed coronavirus cases in students in just a couple of weeks. More than a dozen school districts have closed temporarily as a result of the virus. And Texas is a leader in child deaths from COVID-19. They have 59 as of September 3rd. Now, the number itself isn't what bothers me, AG. It's the 59 deaths that could be prevented at this point. Now, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, But we've talked about state leaders have spent weeks of the surge pushing through controversial bills around abortion, voting restrictions and bail reform, while Abbott has been fighting local governments over their efforts to stem the spread of this virus with mass mandates. Hospitals across the state are running low on pediatric intensive care units, beds. Texas, the Department of State Health Services, says there's only 81 of them remain. 81 beds remain. And just a couple hundred more regular ICU beds are available in the entire state of 29 million people. The surge has led to canceled surgeries, overwhelmed staff, preventable hospitalizations, and deaths. This is a quote. Doctors and other healthcare workers see every day how too many Texans are needlessly getting sick, including many children, when we know the disease can be prevented. So the governor's office has recruited more doctors and nurses from out of state to help, which also makes my fucking blood boil. Mm. He authorized more monoclonal antibody therapy centers, though doctors say the wait to get to the treatment, the wait to get that treatment is as long as 10 days. People can be on ventilators in that amount of time easily. Eight counties across the state are using refrigerator trucks to store the bodies of the dead. Bell County, which includes Temple, Texas, has requested a second FEMA trailer with an extra storage capacity of 50 bodies. Several small trailers have been donated by the State Funeral Directors Association. And I can tell you this because I've talked to some of my health care workers in the state. They are sending patients, COVID patients, from the state of Texas into the surrounding states. New Mexico is getting patients from Arizona and Texas because they are overwhelmed in their own hospitals. And now they are overwhelming the hospitals in New Mexico. Yeah. And now abortion clinics in Oklahoma, we talked about yesterday on the show are getting 50 to 55 patient referrals a day and they can't take them all. Yeah. New Mexico has increased 25% in their abortion referrals. Oh, abortion referrals? Uh Uh-huh. God. Yeah. Damn. Fuck this fucking... We're trying, people. We're going to... I promise we're going to pick you up. We are going to pick you up, but it's been a little bit of a mess in Texas, that's for sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next up, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday warned telecommunications and social media companies this last Tuesday. This, by the way, what I'm reading to you is is an op-ed in the Washington Post from their editorial board on Kevin McCarthy and his shame spiral. (laughs) (laughs) They say back last Tuesday, Kevin warned telecommunications and social media companies not to cooperate with the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol invasion. He claimed they might break federal law if they comply with these committee requests. He threatened that the companies might lose their ability to operate in the United States and vowed that a future Republican majority will not forget what they do. Uh, Quote, what a pitiful path Mr. McCarthy has traveled from initially placing at least some blame for January 6th on the former president to actively undermining congressional inquiries into the riot. His dissent reflects the GOP's broader trend toward embracing January 6th trutherism, minimizing, forgiving, or even valorizing the deadly attack on the nation's seat of government. In an accelerating misinformation campaign, congressional Republicans have claimed that fake Trump protesters did the rioting, that the mob was not armed, that the insurrectionists behaved like normal tourists, that those who were arrested are political prisoners, and that Nancy Pelosi was really responsible. Republicans have punished and sidelined the few who have refused to play along, such as Liz Cheney. Quote, I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room, but too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. That's D.C. police officer Michael Fanone at the, the select committee's first hearing. Mr. McCarthy's Tuesday statement came after the committee asked 35 telecom and social media companies to preserve records, metadata, subscriber information, technical usage information, and content of communications for the listed individuals. 
CNN reports that some lawmakers and members of the Trump circle are on the list. The committee has not yet asked the companies to turn over any records. Just preserve them. Just hold on to them. Congressional Republicans have ducked questions about their interactions with the White House on January 6th. Details could reveal what Mr. Trump knew and when and how he reacted, giving a better sense of his culpability for sparking and failing to contain the riot. Another open question is whether anyone in the Trump administration or in Congress connected with or even abetted the rioters in the run up to the attack. These are the core issues that the House impaneled the committee to address. The committee has subpoena power, but that would be useless if companies destroyed records prematurely. The time-limited investigation, as soon as Republicans control the House, they will end it, would also be much easier if the companies cooperated voluntarily rather than inviting lengthy court proceedings as the committee sought to enforce its subpoenas. This would be reasonable. January 6th probe is not only legitimate, it's among the most urgent in recent times. Though Mr. McCarthy's office did not clarify to us, the Washington Post, what law he thinks the companies would violate... He seems to be referring to the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, but that statute appears to limit only disclosures to executive agencies, not to Congress, for many of the types of information the committee has asked the companies to preserve. McCarthy should be defending Congress's prerogative to investigate and not trying to curb it with threats and bullying. His fevered reaction can only prompt questions about what he and the members of the House GOP caucus seek to hide. And Dana... I've talked to Glenn Kirshner about this and a Mm -hmm. couple of other former federal prosecutors who say this is they've prosecuted witness intimidation cases and obstruction of justice cases for less. Oh, I am sure they have. And I hope that they all of them, all of them to the fullest extent. I'm so tired of this bullshit. I do want to give you a little bit of good news as we move into the interview. But the United States facilitated the safe departure of four American citizens by overland route from Afghanistan on Monday. And that's from a senior State Department official. The news came while Secretary of State Antony Blinken was en route to Doha, Qatar, just days after the U.S. withdrew all troops out of Afghanistan to end a 20-year war. Monday's revelation is the first known evacuation of American citizens from Afghanistan with U.S. government assistance since the withdrawal. And this is a quote, the Taliban was aware and did not impede their transit, the official said, adding that the Americans were in good condition. The U.S. evacuated thousands of American citizens out of Afghanistan in the weeks before the August 31st pullout. Joe Biden said last week that between 100 and 200 Americans with, quote, some intention to leave still remained, including many who are dual citizens or longtime residents. The Biden administration has said it will continue to work to evacuate U.S. citizens who want to get out of the country. So there we go. And uh, I think the important part of that story is that the Taliban was aware and didn't impede the transit. Absolutely. Seems like they would be uh, look, looking like they're cooperating with that. All right. We'll be right back with Wajahat Ali to discuss his forthcoming book, Go Back to Where You Came From, and how the anniversary of 9-11 and the situation in Afghanistan impacts Muslim Americans. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Every year, U.S. businesses waste over $400 billion because of bad writing, which causes confusion misses the mark or just takes too long to get to the point. Conversely, better writing helps businesses win and impress customers, enhance brand perception, improve internal communication, and strengthen relationships with critical partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for teams. Going way beyond simple spelling and grammar correction, WordTune is the only AI-powered writing tool that understands meaning. It offers writing suggestions that can help anyone achieve clear and compelling writing. It's an ultimate writing tool to elevate your entire team's writing instantly. I love using WordTune. 
It allows you to highlight and copy what you want to revise. Then it gives you a number of alternative wordings while maintaining the original meaning and intent, like it understands what you're getting at. You can shorten your sentence or lengthen your sentence or change the tone from formal to informal. WordTune improves performance on any project, anything from internal emails to press releases, sales outreach to customer service support, and so much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, and WhatsApp. And you can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. Are you looking to elevate your entire team's writing? Listeners get a discount for their team today at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. WordTune improves writing efficiency up to four times. Better, faster writing means better business. Start with WordTune at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by Proton. This is an incredible tool. It is like business in a box. It's all in one app. If you're an entrepreneur or an independent professional, and I know so many of our listeners are just amazing makers and creators and artists, you have to check out Proton. I got together with Proton. This is an app-based all-in-one tool for small businesses. We're announcing an incredible free offer. And I'm going to go into more on that in a second. But first, let me tell you about Proton. It is the smartest, fastest, easiest business solution I've ever seen for growing and managing all your small business needs, all within a single app. Through their fully integrated app, in just a few minutes, you can create your public profile to showcase your services. Like it's it's LinkedIn, but only it's way better. Use Proton's magic mode to interact with PDFs and documents and images to make engaging videos to attract new clients. Connect your calendar so you can provide hassle-free scheduling for clients. No more back and forth phone calls and emails. Manage your payments easily and get paid faster with easy and secure options through credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Venmo, and more. Track your revenue and client analytics to understand your customers and watch your sales grow with one single dashboard to manage it all. Right now, Daily Beans listeners get a Proton for free. Yes, completely free. Visit Proton, P-R-O-T-O-N-N dot com slash Daily Beans. Download the app in seconds from that URL because we want them to know you that, you know, we sent you. It's Proton.com slash Daily Beans. Download the app from there. Set up your public profile in minutes. It's all at your fingertips. That's Proton.com slash Daily Beans. Again, Proton.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy to be joined today by a Daily Beast, not a Daily Beans, but a Daily Beast columnist and author of the book out January 25th called Go Back to Where You Came From. Please welcome Wajahat Ali. Hello. 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 Thank you so much for having me on Mother She Wrote. I feel like I finally made it <laughs> that now I'm on your podcast, which got a shout out in Mary Trump's new book. And so when you get a shout out in Mary Trump's book, that's when you know you're, you've are you reached the upper echelon of podcasters. <laughs> you've made it. We're actually going to play this uh, interview on the Daily Beans podcast, but, you know, we might as well throw it on Mueller She Wrote too. Well, Daily Beans, yeah. Either way, Daily Beans, Mueller She Wrote, whatever. You're, 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 the, you're the, the master of all the domains, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I used to buy domains for weird ideas I would get. I think I've got like 25 now and, and 24 are sitting dormant. I <laughs> so. but, but you're like sit there twiddling your thumbs like Mr. Burns, like one day. Yes. What? One day I'm going to activate this very weird website and, and make some weird thing, but never happens. But I can't let them go. I don't know. It's weird. But I'm so glad to talk to you today because I'm I'm really, really excited about this book that's coming out. And it's coming out in January, January 25th, five days after my birthday. So if anybody needs to get me a birthday present, you know what to get me. It's called Go Back to Where You Came From. And I wanted to ask you sort of what prompted you, although I can probably guess, to write this book. So I will send you a free copy because we're in galleys right now. And, and that won't even be my birthday present. That's just because I'm, I'm generous and shameless and narcissistic as well. 
But, you know, the book is the, the full title of the book is go back to where you came from and other helpful recommendations on how to become American. And I think that type of juxtaposition is my response to living in a country that you love that doesn't love you back. Hmm. And how do you navigate that interesting relationship, especially for me personally, being a, a Muslim son of Pakistani immigrants, but it really relates to so many people. I, like look at uh, so many Asian Americans right now, especially since uh, Trump and Republicans call the coronavirus, which last time I checked has no ethnicity or zip code, the Kung flu, China virus, the huge uptick in anti-Asian American hate, right? Where you have people who are literally born and raised here being told, go back to where you came from. And so you can respond with pain and sadness and tears and rage. It's perfectly legitimate. Or you can laugh. And so I, maybe your listeners can tell that I, cho I choose the, the latter. And I, I think oftentimes we react like Daffy Duck to a situation. We get so frustrated and so angry with all the chaos and hate in the world. But if you, if you look at those cartoons, the, the anvil always falls on Daffy Duck's head. The shotgun always goes off in his face. So I'm like, maybe I can respond like Bugs Bunny, who uh, gets to eat the carrot at the end of the episode and the, and the, the ditch that Elmer Fudd who's doing his best impression as Louis Gohmert right now. <laughs> and Yosemite Sam, who would be our Yosemite Sam? That would be Doug Collins. Yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah. that's actually true. Just put a hat on him. <laughs> they always fall in the ditch that they've created for Bugs Bunny. So the book is kind of like a very tongue-in-cheek, but I think bold, I hope, blunt, honest memoir, but told as a Trojan horse through a self-help book of how you too can become American. I kind of give you these top 10 ways, but it's, it's, an, it's weaved through a narrative. And it's, it's, it, it takes certain stories from my life, not to navel gaze, but to, to find a kind of cultural specificity. And I think in the specificity, you can come with some universal truths about this thing called America. So that's, that's why I did it, if that makes sense. It does. My entire podcast was created on the idea that we need to break this down, make it understandable and funny. Because if we don't laugh, we'll cry. And so that is one of the main reasons that I'm really excited for this book and one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you. Uh, tell me about, I mean, this goes all the way back to even the aftermath of 9-11. Of and we're coming up on the 20-year on the anniversary here. Talk a little bit about sort of what you went through and how you went about spinning these things into laughter into gold you know i mean this is kind of what comedians do right they take traumatic events in their lives or or oppression or suppression and and they weave them into something relatable that we can all laugh at yeah i think i think you know it's one of those situations where uh, laughter in itself is very cathartic and and we need that catharsis which uh, uh let me put on my english major hat for once you know it's like in tragedy right what aristotle said was like some of the rules of tragedy is like the the, the protagonist the hero has a tragic flaw a hamartia, if you will, that dooms him or her. And I say in the book that I believe one of America's hamartias or tragic flaws is racism and white supremacy. And until we confront it and dislodge it, this country will not be able to live up to its ideals. And, you know, right now we have a minor catharsis and a catharsis it means a relief, a release, where at the end of the tragedy, there is hopefully this moment of anagnorisis, uh, epiphany that the character has before they die. But the the audience has to kind of expel the fear and, and the tension, right? And, and breathe and exhale. So at the end of Romeo and Juliet, even though the leads die, you see like type of this, through the tragedy, there's an awareness and the Montagues and Caplets come together and the audience is able to breathe for a second, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like laughter, the, 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 the science shows that 
when people are laughing, it releases these endorphins that A, make us feel better. But also what's interesting is when we're laughing, you can Trojan horse otherwise political, social ideas that they, uh, people would otherwise be resistant to hearing. Mm. Like you can just drop them in. Like, like you know, you sweeten the medicine. Let me put it that way. Mm. And, and I feel like after 9-11, see, I was a 20-year-old UC Berkeley undeclared senior all the way in California. And, you know, I always joke that had I known and had Muslims known that 9-11 was going to happen, I would have not joined the Muslim Student Association. I would have joined the Indian Student Association and learned how to spell and, and get good credit and do IT. But I joined the Muslim Student Association because, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I'm like, oh, crap, for the first time, not the token Muslim. There's other Muslims around. And they had me as a, a Muslim board leader. And the reverberation of that war on terror, right, were felt immediately all across the world, this forever war that we're on, which, by the way, in my opinion, we lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about that also. But overnight, here I am, born and raised in the Bay Area, California, the son of Pakistani immigrants, and I'm getting emails telling me to go back to where I came from and why did you bring down the towers? And overnight, anyone who looked Muslimy, not just Muslims, but anyone who looked Muslimy, was seen as a suspect. And from that moment on, it was as if I had to be the cultural ambassador and defender of not only myself, but 1.7 billion people and 1,400 years of Islamic civilization. And on the drop of the dime, I always joke, I had to be an expert on like Islam, Quran, Sharia, Prophet Muhammad, Hakim Olajuwon, like Bollywood, Hamas, Hamas, everything. And if I messed up, not only would I be indicted, but anyone who was Muslim would be indicted, convicted, and sentenced by a nameless judge during executioner who would still hold our patriotism as suspect no matter how many hot dogs we ate, no matter how many flags we waved, no matter how many Britney Spears songs we sang. Case in point, Donald Trump's presidency, right? Mm. The, the, the shadow of the war on terror looms very large. And so real quick, I was a student and I was a student in Ishmael Reed's short story class. Ishmael Reed, for those who don't know, is a MacArthur genius poet, you know, giant of the letters. There's a great New Yorker profile that came out uh, uh, on him like three weeks ago. He's black. And he said, I'm watching the news. And I think your people are going to get hazed for the next 10 years. I'm black. And the way we fought back is through art and culture and storytelling. And so even though you're in the short story class, I've seen that dialogue and characters are your strength. Why don't you write me a play? In fact, you ever read these American plays like Fences or Long Day's Journey in the Night or Death of a Salesman? I'm like, yes. Write me something like that. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, you, you have two months, write me 20 pages. What are you again? And I'm like, undeclared, scared. You know, like, what's your ethnicity? He's like, Pakistani, Muslim. He goes, write me it. Yeah, write me that story. I've never heard that story. Because the way our people have somehow fought back is through storytelling and art and culture. And so that's what kind of inspired this type of foray into, into storytelling, into playwriting, into media, into literally having our voices heard. And my generation, I remember so many of us overnight, we left the Holy Trinity, which was doctor, medicine, engineering, and, and, like, you know, and business. And we went to like comedy and uh, activism and, and storytelling. And so it's a strange thing that you, know, you find, last, I, you got me talking, but I'll stop talking now. You, you find similarities with those communities that have endured so much pain. And pain and love go hand in hand and sometimes are the best ingredients for art. Irish Catholic poetry, right? Like African-Americans. There's, no, there's a reason why those groups in particular really kind of have dominated the American cultural landscape. 
and voila, now you see Muslims. So if it wasn't for 9-11, I think I might have had a different trajectory. That's really interesting and a very interesting positive way to look at it. I want to ask you a little bit more about some of the earlier times in the book, but also about some more recent events. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this portion of The Beans is sponsored by All Form, crafting premium customizable sofas and chairs delivered right to your doorstep for easy putting together. All Form is the best place to get beautiful, high-quality furniture crafted to fit your personal style to your specifications. I love All Form sofas and chairs because they're comfy and amazing, and they make them to my specs. And they're delivered fast and free of charge. You can customize your own luxury furniture at All Form using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of the regular stores. You pick your sofa color, the size, the configuration, the shape, and the fabric, which is all spill, stain, and scratch resistant, by the way. I I got a three-seater sofa with whiskey-colored leather. I could never have leather with cats, but now I do. It's got a walnut leg finish, a chaise lounge. It's comfy and roomy, and it looks amazing. All Form delivers fast, too, just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes with no tools. They have beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals. And you can always start small and add more seats later if you want to grow your family or you move into a bigger house. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allforum.com slash dailybeans. And Allforum is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allforum.com slash dailybeans. And speaking of Allforum, the show is also brought to you by Helix. Helix is amazing. I used to toss and turn relentlessly all night. I would feel sore and tired. I thought it was from the stress of politics or pandemics. But then I took a two-minute sleep quiz and realized my mattress was completely wrong for how I sleep. So if you want to get the best night's sleep of your life, do what I did. Take the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Helix will match your sleep preferences and body type with a mattress perfect for you. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses great for regulating body temperature if you sleep hot. They have ones that are great for spinal alignment to prevent pains. And they have Helix Plus for plus-size sleepers. My quiz matched me with a Helix Midnight because I like a medium-firm mattress and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. And now I wake up feeling well-rested, refreshed, and energized for the day. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews and was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it for 100 sleeps with no risk. They even have financing options available. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the author of the forthcoming book, Memoir, Go Back to Where You Came From and Other Helpful Recommendations on How to Become an American by Wajahat Ali. And you told me I could call you Waj, so I'm, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I wanted to ask you, we were talking a little bit uh, before the break about some of the early stuff, early, you know, you being a student in California and, and how 9-11 impacted you. I love how in this blurb that was sent to me about the book, it's, it opens up saying awkward, left-handed, suffering from OCD and wearing husky pants. <laughs> Ali grew up on the margins of the American mainstream. And I think that the wonderful thing about that is that you don't have to be Muslimy to relate to that. A lot of different people can relate to to the story that you're telling. Like you said, other marginalized communities, other other communities in the uh, and the like. And talking about your professor at UC Berkeley, you know, I'm working on a book, and my publisher's like, make it for everybody. How did you make it for everybody? Yeah. So th- this is what's really rich is once you make everything for everybody, it becomes like yogurt, and nobody wants it. 
right? <laughs> no, and, and it's not, not even good yogurt. It's like the crappy yogurt that's left outside for two days. And especially, but not exclusively, when you're a person of color or a woman, I would say, uh, you're told the following. Make your story relatable. Wait for it. Here's the buzzword. To the mainstream. And mainstream has always been code word in America for white or usually white male gays. And I was told throughout my entire career, your ethnic story might not relate to the mainstream. Translation, there's too many darkies and brown people and you're put too much Urdu and Arabic and people won't understand, make it relatable, make, make it palatable. What I found out, this was a quote from, I think, T.S. Eliot. He said, like, you know, every great American writer is an ethnic writer, if you think about it, right? You, the universal is often found through the specific. I'll give you one example. One of my favorite movies is Godfather. Now, last time you've checked that Wajahat Ali is not a Sicilian name. I, I'm not Italian. I, have not, I do not speak Italian. I do not understand Italian. I don't think I have any Italians in my family. That movie came out in 1972. To this day, I have absolutely no idea what Michael says in the, uh, in the restaurant uh, in uh, Sicilian right before he goes to the bathroom stall, takes the gun and kills the corrupt captain in Solozzo, right? But the movie still fascinates me. Now, how is it possible, Allison, <laughs> that here I am, born and raised in California, the son of Pakistani immigrants, a Muslim, can find that story relatable? Is it because us people of color were given like extra genius breast milk from our mothers that allowed us to like, you know, absorb different cultures in the womb? Yes, that's it. That's it. That's, that's it, what right? it is. No, or, or, <laughs> or is it that, you know, if you spin a good yarn, the audiences will come? I had no idea what meatloaf was. I was fascinated by meatloaf. I'm like, what the F is meatloaf growing up, right? Or baptism or Eucharist. You always have, when you're on the margins, you always have to work extra hard because nothing is ever defined for you. It's, it's always expected that what you're supposed to know is mainstream because mainstream is white. That's the center. And, and for the rest of us, we're always supposed to do the extra work to bring the rest of you in the mainstream to our margins. And Toni Morrison, and I paraphraser, she says, I'll write as if I'm in the center and I'll let them come to me. And so that's kind of what I chose to do my whole life. And lo and behold, I, I mean, I'll tell you stories of when I did the play, the play came out like 2005, the stuff that people told me, hilarious, like um, the mainstream won't get it. Agents told me in your next story, be sure to put a white person so it's palatable. A Hollywood producer said, uh, you, might, you might think about putting Ted Danson in the in the play and i'm like it's a play about six pakistani uh, americans w what role would he play the role of the immigrant father i'm like but it's ted danson and <laughs> but you know which i love ted i love i love becker i love cheers uh but you know it, it's it's the thing that i have consciously and deliberately tried to fight against and so what i've done is i've seen when you put the merch and the masala in the food people like it there's more taste and specifically you mentioned husky pants and how you find the universal in the specific. So I've given these speeches, I give these talks, and I've talked about in this book about growing up wearing husky pants. And anyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s knows the enduring trauma of husky pants. We're literally in Times New Roman 96 font on the right side of the, on your butt, it was, it said husky, just to make it like even more painful. And everywhere I've gone in this country, like after I've given the talks, there's, oh, I don't care what ethnicity, what gender, someone always comes up to me quietly and goes, hey, I also wore husky pants. <laughs> it's that specific, you know, it's like these specificity, the husky pants, the, the turmeric under the fingernails, not speaking English. That's the stuff that people latch onto, which gives it a richness and which makes it more real. And people from different, like, you know, ethnicities say, oh yeah, my parents, my grandparent came here from Ireland. 
oh yeah, they had to change their name. Oh yeah, they were mocked and ridiculed. And so what I found is when you lean in deep to your authentic self and give that cultural specificity without the shame of trying to neuter it and water it down, audiences respond. And they and people kind of reflect back onto what resonates with them. And even if nothing things don't resonate, they go, that was a really cool story. I learned something. Mm-hmm. And and I just refuse to water it down to this mythical vanilla white audience that I know at the end won't even appreciate this watered down story. Yeah. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> people uh, people relate through the details. That's exactly what I found being a, a woman podcaster doing a show specifically about the Mueller investigation. Like, yeah, it's too narrow. It's too focused. It's too niche. People will move on. Who cares? <laughs> and then you found out that by leaning into it, you, you know, you, I'm sure that your demographics have like surprised you, the people who respond to you. Yeah, quite. Finally, before I let you go, we can't not get out of this conversation without talking about what's going on in Afghanistan now and how actually this makes your book even more important in this time. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, these are just, you know, some unintended things that make it apply even more. Yeah, it was it was unintentional, but here we are, twenty years after the the nine eleven terror attacks that were done by nineteen foreign hijackers, none of them who from, who were from Afghanistan or Iraq, fifteen from Saudi Arabia, a few I think from Qatar, and then also from Lebanon, right? And there was one other country that uh, I might be forgetting, but none from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I was a twenty year old uh, living in California. I didn't, I wasn't an expert. I wasn't part of the political or media class. I didn't have access. And even then, I, like millions of others around the world, knew that this would be a disastrous war. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, like you said in the, in the first segment, people don't care. I, I worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs for 12 years, assigning people to doctors. Majority of our doctors, Indian, Sikh, Punjab, yeah. and, and they would say, no, no, no. I, you know, I was in Iraq, you know, uh, I have to have a, I have to have a white doctor. I'm like, we have like two white doctors, you know, like you're, like, like, you're, like, you're going to die. Yeah. Do you want to die or do you want? Yeah. And that happens to this day. Right. And so here we are with this war on terror that has become a forever war where the world is our battleground, where I believe we lost the war on terror, where now it's just, it's just so painful because so many of us were on the streets and so many of us protested, and now we're coming up to the 20th anniversary, and the Taliban are back. The U.S. is out with its tail between its legs, $2 trillion wasted, thousands of Afghans killed, generations traumatized, U.S. soldiers killed. What have we gained? Nothing. We've bloated our homeland security apparatus. Military industrial complex got rich. You know, bin Laden kind of won. And people might not like hearing that, but Bin Laden, you know, realized he wouldn't topple America. He wanted a death by a thousand cuts. He knew he could bleed America. And we bled ourselves for 20 years. And, you know, Spencer Ackerman wrote a good book that people should read that just came out called Reign of Terror, how the war on terror and the demonization of Muslims and making those who looked Muslimy the boogeyman directly led to Donald Trump and Trumpism capitalizing on that xenophobia. But let's not forget 2016. Who did he shit on? The three groups, Mexicans, undocumented immigrants, and the Muslims, right? And lo and behold, the the, the ghosts and demons of 9-11 are alive in, in our flesh and blood and running for office and, and spewing hate from the pulpits and wearing bow ties on Fox News. And, and, and in a way, you know, it, it, it really pains me seeing our colossal F up in Afghanistan. And the final thing I'll say is I'm for the withdrawal, but the manner of the withdrawal, I think, is shameful. And I know some Democrats and Biden supporters are getting angry at me, but I am surprised some of the callousness 
of how liberals are treating this. You know, when you have Afghans literally hanging on to the side of a jet that's taking off and you're telling me this was a success and, and we're sending thousands of troops back just to secure our allies, is that a success? Uh, no. And, and, and it goes back to one last point I'll say is that we never centered Afghan lives. We never centered the people that we were trying to save uh, back then or now. It was all about U.S. interests, military interest, and counterterrorism, which we all failed at, by the way. And, uh, and now in a, a generation traumatized. And the least that we can do, in my opinion, is create a resettlement policy and welcome those Afghans that we try to, quote unquote, liberate. Agreed. And something that actually blew me away, the Republican governor of Utah actually sent a letter to the president of the United States saying, we understand religious persecution and we can have a little argument about that. But any Afghan refugees are welcome in Utah. And I was actually blown away. I was like, I had to double check. Cox is a Republican, right? He's a Republican. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that. And I hope that, you know, another a new mission now to get everybody out. I hope. And to get everybody to safety. And, you know, you know, Allison, I'm from Fremont and, and Fremont, California, people don't realize has one of the highest Afghan populations because after the 79 invasion by Soviet Union, Afghans came to Fremont. So like I was, you know, I know their stories, man. This is a, these are, you can't blame the victims. You can, but I don't think you should. These are traumatized people who endured the Soviets, warlords, Taliban, and then U.S. and NATO war, right? For like yeah. 40 years. Mujahideen, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the least we can do right now is help these folks. And for those who are saying, we don't have room, we have a lot of room in America. <laughs> That's terrible. A thousand people have died from coronavirus. There are literally places right now in rural America where they desperately need workers. And all the data shows that immigrants in the long run are an economic boon to America and foreign born folks commit less crimes than those people born here. So if I have at the very least converted some of you into welcoming Afghan refugees, then maybe there was some positive. I don't think anybody listening disagrees with you. <laughs> I mean, we do have a few, uh, you know, outlying what I call grudge tuggers who who maybe listen to this program. But uh, yeah, I am 100 percent in concurrence. And I think the success of that operation is going to play largely into how this is viewed in the future. Right. But it makes your book all the more important again, unfortunately. I'll send it to you. If you ever have time, read it and let me know what you think. I will. I would love to. And I encourage everybody else to get on the wait list. It comes out January 25th. Pre-sale. Mm-mm-mm. Make it happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. Thank you so much, Allison. <laughs> and it's my birthday. So feel free. I'll probably get like 100 copies now. All right. Thank you so much. You're I- like, ah. <laughs> you know, you can use it. Just use it for Zooms. Just stack them all up and put your on it for your zoom interviews well i'll do what i do when i have leftover dv comedy dvds that i can't sell i just take them to goodwill right i just <laughs> drop them off at goodwill. people are like I, I really i really need a shirt or food <laughs> why just read this book instead fingers <laughs> like this sucks <laughs> thank you so much i really appreciate your time today and you know i look forward to to speaking to you again closer to the release date of the book thank you allison thank you so much for having me on and congratulations on getting a shout out in Mary Trump's book. (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody. Stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Beans. And this segment of the show is brought to you by Upstart. Being in debt is awful. It's demoralizing. It's defeating. But there is a way out. Upstart can help you get back on your feet and on the right track. Upstart is an online personal loan service that helps you pay off your debt quickly. Over half a million people have used Upstart to consolidate debt, pay off credit cards, and fund personal expenses with simple fixed payments. See, most lenders look at your credit score and that's it. You're just a number to them. But Upstart 
looks at your income and your employment history, which means they can offer smarter rates for you with their trusted partners. And with a five-minute online rate check, just five minutes, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval, funds can be available as quickly as one business day. Lots of my comedian, musician, and gig worker friends have found themselves in a financial hole living off credit cards for the past year. I know what that's like. You're just making the minimum payment and the balance doesn't get any lower. But you need to try Upstart. Go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information you provide in your loan application. So go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. And today is also brought to you by Suspect. In October 2008, the residents of the Valley View apartment complex in Redmond, Washington, held a Halloween party. Love Halloween. Dozens of people in costume mingled, drank, they danced. But before the night was over, one of them was murdered. The police had a suspect. His story kept changing. His DNA was at the crime scene. And when it finally came time for questioning, the detectives felt like they were a breath away from getting him to confess. But that didn't happen. So... The police focused their attention on another man, a man with a criminal record whose DNA was also found at the crime scene, but just so also happened to be the only black man at the party. Suspect is a new true crime miniseries about cutting edge forensic science and mislaid justice. It's about race and policing and ultimately the kinds of weighty decisions that cops and prosecutors make every day. Decisions that once made change lives forever and are almost impossible to reverse. So if you enjoy true crime, and want an original podcast that looks at the subject from a variety of different angles while being entertaining and engaging, I highly recommend Suspect. Follow Suspect on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can binge all nine episodes, which is, I love doing that. You can do that ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or on the Wondery app. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, if I get anything wrong, anything you want to send in, I uh, just want to tell a story, want to get anything off your chest, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana, I'll, I'll go ahead and kick us off with a submission from Josh, pronouns he and him. Good morning, our amazing beans queens. I'll start by acknowledging the we're a jury people as the traditional owners of the land I write from and acknowledge that this always was, always is, and always will be Aboriginal land. As someone who suffers from PTSD, I want to say how grateful I am that you speak so openly about mental health. It makes a huge difference. I suffered 65% third degree burns 17 years ago, lost my best friend in the fire, and have been living the PTSD ride ever since. Just know that you help when you speak on it. So thank you. For some good news, I took time off to care for my beautiful wife, who at 26 years old was diagnosed with breast cancer. She has finished treatment now and during that time began fostering dogs. Well, my newest baby, Waru, in the pictures has received so much love for adoption that we had to close applications. I'm sure she will find a forever home very soon and will be loved deeply and massive props if you can guess the breeds of all three of my pups, all rescues. Love oh, from Australia. My goodness. On the left, the one looks like it's eating its own back leg and looking up like what? Uh, I would <laughs> say a pity lab? I would say healer lab. All right. Oh, I just saw the foot. Yeah, see the foot? Oh, yep. The foot I, I, I think maybe away. pity healer lab. Pity healer lab. Doby in the middle. Yeah, Doby Shepard. Doby Shepard, I'll go with that. And then it looks like we have another Aussie mix of oh, 
<laughs> Look, Aussie, and it's like got I know it's, got, it's ears and eyes from a German shepherd, and then the rest is Australian totally. or Rottweiler. Oh my oh, goodness! Yeah, that's a beefy baby. Oh, look! All right, the... we've got. Oh, we've got answers though. What a <gasps> handsome guy, too. What a beautiful couple. I know. I'm so glad you're doing well. All right, from left to right. Okay, bulldog and pity is the baby. No healer. Huh. Australian kelpie. Okay, that's a purebred thing that just looks like a doby shop. <laughs> I'm sorry if I just moved so far away from the microphone, but I know that probably still hurt. You're like, all right, that's a full-bred thing right there. <laughs> and on the right, blue cattle dog, which is what we thought was Australian Shepherd. Okay. And uh, you said pity? I, I thought, or I actually thought that was a little bit of Rottweiler, but no. American Staffy. My goodness. Right. We were really wrong on all really? that. God, we've gotten bad at this game. We're out of practice. Uh, no lab, no German shepherds, no Australian shepherds. <laughs> and apparently seriously? the one that I thought was a mixed breed in the middle is a purebred dog. I'm going to okay. start being like, is that a cat? Are they sure that's a dog? There's a cow in this picture, right? Okay. Oh, puppy oh. is adorable, though. Josh, thank you for the lovely submission for honoring the land you live on and are writing from. And I'm so glad uh, you are both doing well with your mental and physical health. It's a beautiful thing. So. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Next, we have Peter, pronouns he and him. Beans, queens. AG, I'm glad to hear your weekend in Washington was a great one. If I can make a suggestion, a meetup in Toronto. Since vaccinated Americans can come into Canada, but vaccinated Canadians can't cross the land borders into the States, you should do it that way. Pod tax. AG mentioned last week that her cats love to walk on her computer when she's working on it. I solved that problem by giving my cat Juno, aka PJ, the monogrammed cat, her own laptop to sleep on so that I could work on mine in peace. Oh my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've not solved the problem of her sleeping in my in my only computer chair. Keep up the good work. That is so funny. That cat is so asleep and happy to have its own laptop. It's a decoy laptop. <laughs> that's brilliant. I have seen also somebody has this uh, like a clear acrylic sort of shelf that they put over their keyboard for their cats to lay on while they type. Oh my God. That's fantastic. But that's, though. that's amazing. I do have a spare old laptop junker lying around. And I think I'll just, I think I'm going to use that. Thank you for that. And uh, Toronto, Toronto, sorry, Toronto, Toronto, not a bad idea. Dana, let me know if you're headed that way. Maybe we could, maybe I'll just set up a show. I'm sure they could use some Trump bashing yeah. up North. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure he's super popular in Toronto. Soup's popular. Soup's toads pops. All right. Next up <laughs> from Evan, <laughs> pronouns he and him. Hi, AG and DG and all so grateful for your daily synopsis. Thank you for being sane in the insanity and providing a solid base to go forward from once more into the breach of the nonsense. Check out this amazing dog who rescued a friend of mine. This is Wilma. Great name. She is from northern Saskatchewan. I'm in Canada. First Nations there have matched up with rescue folks to create a new pipeline. They have thousands of dogs up north, and Wilma arrived here on Vancouver Island full of seven puppies. Oh, anchor dogs. Uh, <laughs> all were placed <laughs> All were placed once eight weeks passed, and now she's just the most dynamic dog ever. Super friendly and approachable, so thankfully not harmed or abused. And for such a funny shape, she moves like a border collie. Obviously, she is not that. 
good luck deciphering this one. Yeah, this one looks like a, 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 a basset hound and a corgi <laughs> which is <laughs> made out. I love it. I also love that for the uh, funny shape. Hey, easy. She understands you. She's so cute. Yes. Adorable. I adorable. I, I love, love that. I love that she came down to, to Vancouver Island and had seven puppies. Oh, with my her. God. I know. I also love that she... They have a pipeline set up to get foster parents. That's great. Okay. Jenna, pronouns she and her. Hey, A.G. and Dana. Captain Kirk's mom here. Just wanted to share how I have transformed my dread from the pandemic years into a cozy blanket. Beforehand, I couldn't crochet. And straight edge had a lot of trapezoids. Practice doesn't make perfect, but it does make better edges. (laughs) Anyway, I legit hate when blankets are too short. And I've had a lot of awkward fidgeting to do. So I am making these for my loved ones as we spend time apart. I hope it makes us all feel less alone. Keeping open and honest that being not okay is okay. And talking to your support system is the most important when you feel the void closing in. Amen to that. And this is a absolutely gorgeous blanket. Oh, I want one. I know. It looks warm and cozy. I love the purples. Right? Good color. Good color choices. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I had a moment, Dana, you weren't here yesterday, but I was not okay. And I felt like telling everybody, but then I felt bad because I feel like I want to be people's rock, but it's like, okay, to not sometimes be that. And I just want to. That's exactly right. And kind of to have those days. Put that out there in the ether. All right. Next up from Jessica pronoun, she and her. My daughter has serious mental health issues and is conserved. I am her primary person, her mama bear. I'm the one who makes sure she doesn't fall through the cracks. But I have also been her target. See, she has delusions where she believes I have been replaced. It's called a capgrass delusion. As you can imagine, it's a very scary prospect to know that the one person you rely on may be replaced by something that will hurt you. So while she's very symptomatic, it's been very difficult to interact with her because she can be brutal. Last year before COVID, they were looking for a placement for her, which was very difficult because of of her behavior. But they found a place in Southern California for her in February of 2020. To put this in context, until a couple of weeks before they found placement for her, I'm not sure why, but she suddenly emerged from her symptoms and finally saw me. Wow. It was like she had been away for a long time and wanted to know what had happened while she was gone. I felt like I had gotten my daughter back. I can't describe the feeling. Then on February 20th, 2020, she was moved eight and a half hours away. I wanted to be able to go down there to let her know I was still here and still supporting her, but COVID shut everything down. Then she stopped responding to me. If I'm not in the room with her, it's hard for her to know I am real. She refused to sign a release to let her carers talk to me. For this entire time, I have had to just hope she's okay, not knowing if she really was. I think about her every day. I waited until I got my vaccinations and travel opened up in California. My first attempt got stalled the day before I was scheduled to leave. The facility was closed down because a staff person had a positive COVID test. I was crushed that I had to wait. Last week, I finally drove down, not really knowing if I could see her. I showed up and she was willing to see me. She looked better. She was calm and she knew who I was. We visited over the course of three days. And when I left, I gave her a big hug, which she hadn't allowed me to do for years. For the first time in a year and a half, I know she's okay. Thank you. Each podcast anchors my days. And I I knew that sharing this news with all of you was important to me. We may all find some peace and love in the chaos. For my pod pet tax first, I have Willow. He's a sweet kitty, but when I get home, this was his priority. LOL. My oldest kitty is Oreo. He's feral. 
I took care of him for many years when he was outside. About three years ago, I brought him in because he was doing really badly outside. He can't see well, but he's enjoying life inside where he's always fed and warm. He doesn't let me pet him, but he is my bit of wild inside. The third one, my youngest, is Jackson. He's my monster kitty. He's always getting in trouble. He objects to me being on the computer and not petting him and plops down on my keyboard and trackpad. Oh, Jessica, have I got an idea for you? <laughs> We've you got a, decoy a separate... laptops. <laughs> decoy laptop. Uh, let me look at these babies here. Oh, yep. This the first ca- picture, hand the... on a can of catnip. Yep, that was the first thing when she got home was the catnip. Okay, look. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> the kitty look at the spots oh, on the look nose look at those markings he looks like he was eating something black so cute so Aww. so cute and he's got the little cape that comes down that's so cute oh and then finally goodness. the computer plopper oh okay right on the hand too so you can't do anything about it can we talk about the second picture if you didn't show the head of this picture the paws and the legs <laughs> look like a puppy those are that's so huge. huge. So big. Th- that well, story. Jessica, that's a lot. No, I wish I could hug you. Yeah. I I just, I know it sounds silly, but just for human connection and just so that you know you're being held by a community, thank you for sharing what I'm sure is an incredibly painful story to share at times. And I'm so glad that um, you were able to finally visit and she knew who you were and she let you hug her. And Absolutely. That had to had to absolutely mean the world and thank you for sharing that we're here for you we're here for all of your stories if you have any that you want to send us please do please send them to us at uh, dailybeanspod.com and click on contact do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today dana no again we started this at the top of the hour and i'll just end this way to all of my jewish friends out there and those who love us and if you want to just celebrate the Jewish New Year. You can. You don't have to be Jewish to do it. It's a beautiful celebration. We don't have to wait till December 31st to decide that this one's done and to start a new one. I mean, take the moments you can. Tomorrow's a new day, and I hope that you can find some joy in it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody for sending in your stories and uh, for listening. I really appreciate it. And everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet. And take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I have been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.